Hi, um, I'm Lucy Russell, and um, I'm coming to get baptized. Um, I gave my heart to God at about age eight, um, and it was back at a church camp when I was little, and I was raised in the church, but um, as I I suffered a really difficult loss as a child, lost my dad, um, and as a teenager, and became pretty bitter um, and got hurt by the world. But as I became an adult, um, I went through um, a divorce, and that really, really um, scarred me. The circumstance, um, and I was—I met my husband that I've been with now for nine years, and during COVID, is broke me. Um, I turned to alcohol, um, and I was very, very, very sick. Um, and by the grace of God, I got down on my knees um, about a year and a half ago, and God set me free from that addiction. And so great. I'm just, um, I actually um, am in the program. Um, there's a program called AA, and um, I'm very grateful to that program, that recovery program. Um, and my sponsor today, I told her I was doing this, and she thought about coming, but um, she just said I fully support that, and um, and I'm grateful for that. But my main, my faith is in God and Jesus Christ. And that is what I, t I share with other people in the program, and not everybody believes in that higher power, but he is my Lord and Savior. celebrate the testimony with me for Lucy Sharon. I, uh, I hadn't heard, in fact, I hadn't met Lucy until that evening and uh, hadn't heard her testimony. And as she was sharing it, man, I just felt like the Lord was all over that place. In fact, through multiple testimonies. And uh, so I, I quickly said, hey, I would love to get permission to show that on a Sunday morning. It's such a neat story of God's transforming power and I hope it's been encouraging to you as well. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you take them to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter one. And I'm just gonna let you know ahead of time today is going to be a little bit like drinking from a fire hose and it's on purpose because um, last week we talked about prayer and we talked about how prayer is the foundation what's missing what's missing in many people's lives is not prayer most people pray but it's prayer that takes us to a deeper level prayer that takes us into God's presence prayer that does things and Paul says I want I want men everywhere to raise up holy hands right with a clear conscience raise holy hands without anger means deal with the bitterness in our life and without any dispute which means in unity and he says that kind of prayer really brings people and brings about powerful working of God. But R.A. Uh, Torrey, who was a, a great evangelist in the latter half of the 1800s, he said that if I'm going to have faith when I pray, then I need to have some promises from God's word on, what, on which to base my reliance, my faith, and my confidence in. And so this morning, you'll notice I have got verse after verse after verse after verse, and I will refer to some of them. I will not read all of them because we just literally don't have enough time to do that. 
But when I say we're reading, or we're drinking from a fire hose, it's that I don't want us to spend our time paying attention to fill in some blanks today. I'm asking the Lord simply just to speak to our hearts and our spirit. And if you miss a blank, it won't be the most important thing this morning as long as God speaks into our heart. I also want to share with you this whole series, What's Missing, is not an accusation. It is not an accusation against a church or against a people, against you personally, or even against the church in the United States. It is an invitation, not an accusation. It is God saying, I want to do this in the life of the body, in the life of the believer. These are the in invitation. And so if there feels like there's something missing, maybe it's one of these pieces that's missing. Now, Jesus said, before we get into what Paul said, Jesus said in his last words to the disciples before he ascended into heaven, he says, you're going to receive power. It's in uh, chapter one, uh, verse seven of Acts. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Promise. Not an accusation, it's an invitation. You should expect to receive power when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul, when he's speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but he gave us a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. We could spend our whole time just there. That you should anticipate that, that when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God takes up residence, you didn't receive a spirit of timidity to make you fearful, but rather we receive the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline or sound mind or self-control. There's different ways of interpreting that. So it's the normal Christian life. It's not the extraordinary Christian life. This is the normal promise that God has for us. We should anticipate that God is moving in our life in power. More so, Paul, a little bit later in the same, uh, in the same book, says this. He says, there's going to be end time days as we approach the end of days and we are approaching the days in which Christ is going to come again. Listen what he says is going to happen. There will be terrible days in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And look at this one. And they will have a form of godliness but deny its power. And God forbid if he's not talking about those who are outside the church, what if Paul were actually talking about inside the church? That there's actually going to be this movement where there's a form of godliness but denying its power. God forbid. God forbid we just go through the routine, go through the acts, go through the religious activities, and we have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Paul said, hey, when I came to you, I didn't come with persuasive words or eloquence of speech. He said, when I came, I came really, frankly, pretty meek and pretty weak. But he said, but it was, it was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your glory may not come to me, but go to the Lord in heaven. And he said in the church of Thessalonica, he says, when we came to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ came with power. This is the normal Christian life. This is the normal 
invitation. This is not just for the apostles. This is not just the super spiritual. There should be the fruit of God's power working in the life of believers. And if he's working in the life of believers, then he should be working in the life of a church, the church, throughout the church. So what's that look like? Well, today really isn't about focusing on what that looks like, except I'm going to give you three of them out of about 10 that I could. First of all, one of the things that you should expect when you see the power of God working in a person's life is the ability and the power to stand. Just the power to stand. Say that with me. The power to stand. Say that. The power to stand. You're saying, where do you get that? Well, Paul says when he's talking about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Later on, he says, so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand Stand firm then. He says, what, four or five times. He's starting to get a pattern here, right? Last week he said, hey, I'd like you to pray, and I'd like you to keep on praying, and I want you to pray for all the saints. And oh, by the way, if you wouldn't mind, since you're praying, would you pray for me? And oh, by the way, pray. I mean, he he just says, I want you to pray. And then in the same passage, he says, so why? So that you can take your stand, take your stand. Oh, by the way, take your stand and take your stand. That, that phrase, take your stand, um, there's two meanings to it. It's a, it's a military term and it's a wrestling term. <laughs> I identify with the wrestling term, although I wasn't very good at it. I, 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 I like to say this, everybody needs, somebody needs to lose. And I was really good at it. And so uh, when I would wrestle, but the idea is for either a wrestler or somebody in the military to dig in and get ready. And he says, you're gonna have the ability through the power of God to stand against the enemy's schemes. Why? Because we have an enemy of our soul. Our power or our, 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 our war is not against flesh and blood, Paul says. He says it's against the, the powers and the authorities of this dark world. So we have an enemy of our soul. And then he says, and by the way, when the days of evil come, which means what? When the cultural slide becomes the pervasive and prevailing slide. Yeah, there's always been pockets of evil, but there are going to be days in which culture becomes the norm. And when those days come, you're going to be able to take your stand. You're not going to be moved. And when the attack comes against you, so he says that we ought to be able, through the power of God, to stand. Stand. That's a demonstration of God's power. Another demonstration or fruit of God's power is the ability to see transformation in a life. Now, I wanted to make sure I said this the right way because we don't transform anyone. But what we should see is that as God is moving in people's life, transformation takes place. You might be saying, well, where do we see that in Scripture? There are those who would hold to a concept that when a person comes to Christ, they are forgiven, but they're not really changed. That is, forgive me, but boy, that that is... That just isn't scriptural. Jesus said that if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new creation isn't just simply the same old slob forgiven, but we're, we're different people. God makes us different. We're not, we're not perfect in all of our actions, but he is perfecting us when he is doing a work within us. It's almost as if when a person comes to Christ, the picture is, is he plants the seed of the Holy Spirit, and as the Holy Spirit is growing in a person's life, there's some natural fruit that ought to show. 
That's why John, or John, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, the fruit of the Spirit. Now look at this one. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit working in the believer's life. Not the super spiritual, just the normal Christian life is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Keep my word faithful. I do what I say I'm going to do. Gentleness and self-control. Ephesians chapter 5, sorry. Galatians 5. Paul says, these is the evidence, the fruit that begins to come from your life. Not imperfection. It's not a bountiful harvest perhaps to begin with, but these are the things that ought to start happening. You ought to see the difference the Spirit of God makes in a believer's life. And if that happens in individual Christian lives, how can that not then show within the body of Christ? Number three. He says the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of God's power ought to be the ability to endure. This one strikes me. The word endure, by the way, in the Greek, it means the ability to stand under a heavy load. When no person could normally ever uh, stand up under that load, it's the ability to stand underneath that heavy load. And Paul says it in the very same passage we just looked at, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, notice what he says. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I'm not asking for you just to suffer. I'm not asking for you to do this in your own strength. I'm asking for you to stand with us in the gospel. And yes, even suffering for the gospel in the power of God. And what's interesting is that when I talked about power, you may not have thought of any of those. I I shared those on purpose. There's like five or six more that just jumped out at me. For example, um, I should begin to see people accepting Christ. That is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. We don't lead people to Christ. We, We can introduce them to Christ. The Spirit of God changes a person's life. And so if the power of God is moving, working, we ought to see people accepting Christ. Isn't it interesting, Peter? One message under the influence of the Holy Spirit saw more people come to Christ than in three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry. And that's not to diminish Christ. Christ made a promise. Christ said, hey, you're going to do greater things than I've done. When the Spirit comes, when the Comforter comes, He's going to convict people of unrighteousness. He's going to be the one who convicts. He's the one who will teach and lead people in that. And so we should see people coming to Christ, life transformation. We should experience the presence of God. We should should see prayers answered in all kinds of prayers, whether those be prayers for healing or prayers for for answers or prayers for wisdom or prayers for whatever it is. We, I I can be honest, sometimes I'm, I'm, the Lord's working in my life. He really is. And he's still challenging me on some things. But uh, we had an anointing service. It was on a Wednesday night toward the end of June. And uh, we did a teaching on healing. Pastor Ann did the teaching, and then we, we broke into groups, and we invited anybody who wants to come and pray for an area of healing in their life, or, or if you want to stand in as a surrogate on behalf of someone else. And so I had several people who came up into our little prayer group, 
who came up on behalf of someone else. And two of them, within the next week, gave me a direct answer. One had the area of cancer, which they went back into the doctor, and that was uh, declared free. I don't even know what the lady's name is that was healed. It was on behalf of this lady, and I, I can't remember what it is right off the top of my head. Another individual came on behalf of a family member in which they said, this is a direct answer to prayer. And I remember kind of, I was with Pastor Bruce out in the hallway and we were chatting and I was sharing the information with the Martins because I had just got it come in. And I said, why am I surprised by that? I shouldn't, see, I shouldn't be shocked by that. That is, that should happen. Now, I realize he doesn't always heal in the way that I want him to or answer in the way that I want him to, but, but here's the deal. That should be normal. That should be regular. God answering prayer. I shared about an answer prayer last week and it was such an encouragement just to go back and see how faithfully God had been moving. Um, he says, I'm gonna give power to people to be able to overcome areas of addiction and sin in their life. First John, the entire book. And he says, and I'm praying, Paul says, I'm praying in Ephesians chapter three for you to have the power along with all saints to comprehend how wide and deep and, and, and tall or whatever the passage is. He says, I'm praying you have the power to comprehend the love of Jesus Christ. So even the ability to understand spiritual things, to go to a deeper level, to comprehend that, he says, that is an evidence of the power of God. This is a promise of God in the life of every believer. If you want to know how to pray and understand promises, I just gave you like 20 passages that you can go back and just literally pray those with confidence because they're God's promises to us. So why don't we sometimes see that stuff happening? When I lived in Warsaw, Indiana, I went there in 1991, my wife did as well, and we took a little church called the Warsaw Missionary Church, and I'm gonna tell you, this church, we didn't have anything. Uh, for two years, Tammy and I were missionaries at the Warsaw Missionary Church, and our home church, we had, uh, I think it was 50, 50 families took us and they underwrote our, our salary for two years. They, they all took out anywhere from $20 to $40 a month. They gave it as a donation and they underwrote um, so that we could go and minister into this little church and get it up to a place where it could be self-sustaining. And so over the next couple of, I mean, we, we didn't have a yard. We had 15 acres and we had dirt, but we didn't have a yard. And so I uh, got a hold of a local farmer and uh, the back 10 acres was so bad and all overgrown with weeds and stuff. I said, tell you what, you can have that 10 acres to uh, farm. And uh, in, in, in exchange of that, um, you got to plant a yard for us. <laughs> and so that's how we got our yard. You know, the problem with a five acre yard, somebody has to mow it. And uh, that was me for the first year, a little 36 inch Dak Murray <laughs> mower until it got stolen, but that's a whole nother story. Anyway, we raised enough money to put a sign up. We were on a bypass. People just fly by. They didn't even know we were a church. And so we uh, raised enough money to get the biggest sign we could get. It was somewhere about as wide, oh, whatever that is, about eight feet, 10 feet wide. 
And uh, we put it up on big stilts so that it would be up high enough that the bypass could at least kind of see it. It was a lit sign. You could change the letters in it and such. By the way, when you get those ones where you can change the letters in it, somebody has to go change the letters. But anyway, that's what we did. And we, we did all the work ourselves and we poured the concrete and we put a really nice base around it and, and we ran the electricity out to it and dug the, 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 the trench and we put it, the line in and worked. It's exciting. And I started noticing that the bulbs were burning out. They weren't flickering, right? And so I, I'd go out and get up on a ladder and I'd change the bulbs on the thing and such. And um, you kept doing that. And, and what we discovered is that it wasn't a bulb issue per se. It was a ballast issue. And the problem was the ballast is what takes the power from the cord, transfers it into a, a way that will actually work on the bulb. And what was happening was we found out we were several hundred feet from the, from the church. And we had put too small of an electrical line underground. And so by the time the power, which started off at let's say 120 in the church, by the time it got out to the sign, it had dipped all the way down to about 103 or so. And it was causing, I'll call it brownout, that's a terminology. It was causing a problem and I learned something. Things don't burn out usually because you got too much power. They burn out because you don't have enough. And I am not an electrician, by the way. I actually interviewed an electrician for this message. So anything I say that doesn't sound right, it's their fault. <laughs> I have learned way more about electricity by failure than by success. For example, just because you turn off a switch to something doesn't mean there's not still power in the cord when you go touch it. I learned that the hard way. I learned about the whole distance thing. By the way, we went back, replaced it, put in a heavier gauge wire, never had another problem. So what is it in the life of a believer? Why is it, or maybe a church, or maybe the church, why is it that we may not see the power of God? Three reasons I wanna leave with you this morning. Number one, it's the power supply. And it is an insufficient, faulty power supply. Too little power trying to do something that can't possibly be accomplished in and of itself. Jeremiah chapter two. When I was in prayer about a week and a half, two weeks, I'm sorry, three, four weeks ago, this verse came running at me, just absolutely came to my mind. Jeremiah is a prophet who is speaking to the people of Israel, giving them warning about an impending judgment of God. He is speaking previous to the 70-year captivity of the Israelites, the Babylonian captivity. And here's what the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The Lord confronted me with that verse years ago and I meditated on it. I'll bet you I meditated for years on that verse. What in the world does that mean? The Lord says, my people, I'm going to identify as one of his people. This is not an accusation. It's an invitation. He says, they've committed two sins. 
They have forsaken me, the living water, and they have dug cisterns of their own that cannot hold water. First thing the Lord is saying in this passage is you're trying to do in your own strength something that I promised I could only do in my own strength. Let me say it again. You're trying to do something in your own power that I had told you ahead of time I would already do in my power. It's amazing when you read God's word how the Lord will bring things to your mind later that you had no idea how he was, what it even meant. But it's interesting, when the Israelites came into Israel, the Lord made them this promise in Deuteronomy chapter six. It's right after the passage that most parents know because it's the one about how to teach your children and put symbols on the doorposts and that thing. This is right after that. Here's what it says. And when I bring you into that land, it is a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. Wells that you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. What did they do? They dug holding tanks in the ground so that they could store up stale water instead of enjoying the wells that God already wanted to provide for them. He said, you've traded what I wanted to do by my strength, and now you're trying to do it on your own strength. And then he says, number two, and you have, do you know what a cistern is? A cistern is essentially a holding tank underground. Let me, let me show you two pictures. The outside water, I don't know where that picture was taken, but looks like it's on the northern peninsula shore up by Tobermory, Lake Huron. I'm not positive, but it's what it looks like. I really don't know where it came from. The middle one is um, the backyard at one of our church families. Uh, no, I don't know, I have no clue. <laughs> All right, so we're going, to call, we're going to call that living water. We're going to call that stagnant water. How many would prefer the living water? You know, when Jesus went to the Samaritan woman, he didn't promise her. You know what Jesus said? Come to me if you're thirsty, and I will give you stale, stagnant water. It'll keep you alive. It just won't be refreshing. That was his promise. Go look it up. You don't have to, do you? That's a dumb promise. What did he say? Come to me. If you knew me, you'd have living water. The promise of God is always living water. The promise of God is always water that he is supplying. And what happens in a believer's life, yes, a believer's life, is that we can begin to try to do in our own strength what he said, but that's only going to happen in my strength. 
It's a reliance issue. It's a supply issue. And so it's not an accusation. What he's really saying is, is I'm inviting you to come near to me and to trust me to do for you and do in you and do through you what you could never do in your own strength. And it is a scary place to live because it's way easier to write a message in my own strength. It's way easier for me to, to, to give advice in my own strength. It's way easier for me to want to take control of my young adult children's lives and tell them what they need to do than it is simply to stand back and watch God do it. And yet when God's power moves, he tends to move far more pervasively and powerfully than what my words can. There's a supply issue. Number two, there's a distance issue. I learned something in my, um, in my interview with my uh, electrician friend. He said, there's a whole formula for this. And I just laughed and said, I don't need a formula. He said, just remember this. Distance always increases resistance when we talk about electricity. I'm looking at my electrician friends. Is that okay? Can I say it that way? All right, he's giving me a thumbs up. I'm all right. I passed one test. You, actually, Kyle, you were the most, I was most nervous. I was going to get this wrong. Distance increases or creates resistance. That's what was happening in our church site. The voltage was dropping. What started at the source, we were too far away, and so we needed a greater conduit of that electricity in order to reduce that resistance. I, I don't understand it, I just know that's what they tell me. Say that with me, would you? Distance creates resistance. Say it one more time. Distance creates resistance. So when James says, who by the way is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, was known as old camel knees because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. When he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash you hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You don't need a pastor to illustrate for you what creates distance. But when the Spirit of God begins to not accuse, but invite and says, come near to me, it's an invitation, not an accusation. And he says, I want to be your supply, and I want to be your supply which is near. So whatever it is that you're feeling is creating. And sometimes we feel distant, and that's not a, a reality. I get it. That's why power isn't always evidenced in joyfulness as far as outward expression because sometimes we're going through heavy seasons but it's not about an artificial excitement. It's about what God is doing in and through me and when you feel sometimes the very weakest, God can show himself in the mightiest way. Number three, it's a play on words, current. The current is a problem. And this one for me is all over scripture and yet I, I can't give you a specific passage that will give you a verse that you can hold on to, but I will tell a story and that is in the book of Ezekiel, 
who is a contemporary of Daniel. So this is during the Babylonian captivity. Ezekiel has a vision, and in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, you see something happen which is just um, heartbreaking. He says, I looked and I saw the glory of the Lord ascend in the temple. And he moved to the threshold of the temple. And he hovered above the cherubim. And then the glory of the Lord departed. Isn't that heartbreaking? The good news is in Ezekiel 45, he has another vision and he says, and I saw the glory of the Lord return to the temple. So what did they do from Ezekiel 10 to Ezekiel 45? They did exactly what they'd always done. They worshiped the same way they worshiped. They did the same sacrifices. They always sacrificed. They said prayers. They've always said they just did it without the presence of the Lord. They were living faith by memory. And Zechariah, written just after the Israelites come back from the captivity, we see a similar picture where he's, he's indicting the priests and he shows that the anointing of the Lord has departed from the priests and yet they just go on doing everything the way they've always done it just without the anointing of the Lord. Here's the warning. They were doing life if faith today out of yesterday's power. There was no currentness in their walk. The story of Samson, it says that Samson was filled with the Spirit and yet the Spirit of the Lord had departed him and the next time he's attacked, he goes out and he tries to take on the enemy exactly how he's always done it and he failed miserably. Scripture says because he did not realize that the Spirit of God had departed him. Saul was the anointed king of Israel. Because of his sin, Samuel tells him the Lord is going to remove his anointing. The Lord removes his anointing and for the next 13 years he keeps leading the Israelites. But he was doing it out of his own strength. And this, this really is for believers who are a little older. You went to camp as a kid. You, you've always been faithful to the Lord. You remember the great days, and God forbid, but that our greatest days were 40 years ago. God forbid that my greatest days in Christ were 30 years ago or 20 years ago. It's not an accusation, it's an invitation. God says, 
I want to be your supply and I want there to be no distance between us. And I don't want to be the God of your youth and the God of your yesterday. I want to be the God of today. And I don't want to give you yesterday's testimony. I want to give you today's testimony. And why should this be important to us? Because the enemy has power too. Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the authorities of this dark world. He says, interestingly, as we, as we approach the end days in 2 Thessalonians, he says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. So understand that the enemy has power, but John says in 1 John, but it's okay, take heart. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We should never walk in fear. We should walk with tremendous confidence and tremendous sense of victory because the God who is at work within our lives is greater than the one who's trying to defeat. And so I'm, I guess this morning as I share again, this is, this is not in any way, we talked about what's missing and I, I wonder if missing, we talked last week about prayer that goes deeper than the facade and I wonder today if we're trying to dig our own wells and we're trying to keep our distance so as not to be, and God says, no, I, I really do want to powerfully pour out in your life. And by the way, not only in your life, but in the life of the body, and not only in the life of the body, but in the life of the body. And the, imagine what would happen in a country. Imagine what would happen in our community. Imagine what would happen in our church. Imagine what would happen in your family. Imagine what would happen in your marriage. Imagine what would happen in your life. And so, Lord, this morning, my heart cry, I know I've been all over the place, but Holy Spirit, I find that you tend to apply and help stick into our lives exactly what needs to stick. And so this morning, Lord, the invitation is there. And Holy Spirit, we just want you to be the one who speaks and woos and, and does the work that you want to do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, but now, Lord, in obedience to your word, however you speak, whether it be humility or just a step of obedience or whether it be just simply a, a time of drawing near, we want to see you pour yourself out in a new and a fresh way, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm going to have you stand. Sean's going to lead us in a, a short chorus, but I want to invite you, if you'd like to it's come. Right? Right? We, we always have prayer partners. They'd love to pray with you, but I find, man, just noticing maybe people want to come and just either stand before the Lord or just come before Him, just as a heartbreak. and says, Lord, I just want to see you working in these days. I want to invite you to come if that's what God places on your heart. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. 
down front here just kind of waiting I feel like uh, we ended wrong so right now right where you're at Spirit of God's been just kind of teaching you speaking to you wooing you over the last 35 minutes or so and when we talked about some inhibitors one of them or two of them resonated with you or maybe when we talked about fruit of God's power, some of that was resonating with you. And so right where you're at, just simply saying, God, I'm drawing near to you. Would you draw near in this situation? And Lord, I've been a little nervous to even ask, but right now I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask that you pour yourself out in this area. And as you lead me as you convince me as you speak into my life I'm, I make a promise ahead of time I'm going to listen I'm going to obey I'm going to listen I'm going to obey I'm going to do what it is you've called me to do thanks Lord it's in Jesus name we pray amen